Welcome to the More Equity Podcast by Harlem Capital. Harlem Capital is a diversity-focused, early-stage venture capital fund based in New York. We're on a mission to invest in 1,000 diverse entrepreneurs over the next 20 years. On this episode, we're going to focus on diverse venture capitalists on the rise. Listen in as Harlem Capital intern Brian Burton leads the conversation. Hey, everyone. This is Brian Burton, venture intern with Harlem Capital. Today, we are speaking with Hante Catlett, an investor at Bessemer. Hante grew up in Staten Island, New York, and began his career at the Bridge Bank Group, a consultancy focused on advising nonprofit organizations. Hear about Hante's past adventure from his time as a dual degree graduate student at Stanford and his views on how change can be enacted through private investments and through public policy as well. Hante, thank you for joining us. So, Hante, I wanted to turn it over to you to kick it off and get a brief introduction of yourself, your background, where you grew up, where you went to school, and your journey so far. Awesome. Thanks, Brian, and uh, thanks um, to you guys at the Harlem Capital team for including me. So, I grew up in uh, Staten Island, New York, which I like to say is the a forgotten borough of New York City. We're known for the Staten Island dump, Pauly Castellano, head of the Gambino crime family, <laughs> uh, and Mike the Situation from the Jersey Shore. So an interesting place to grow up for sure. Ended up going to Harvard for undergrad where I studied biomedical engineering and philosophy. And then I got quickly into the social impact sector. So coming out of undergrad, I did a couple internships in banking, consulting, learned a good skill set, but I think based on where I grew up, which was the part of Staten Island that was pretty low income, I felt a responsibility to give back to my community and, and work in the social sector in some way. And so spent time investing in small businesses and low income communities, spent time in education, uh, and then spent a lot of time at a company called the Bridgespan Group, which is where I got my first experience in investing, primarily impact investing were worked on behalf of high net worth individuals to invest in education technology, biomedical informatics, and a few other areas. And fell in love with investing through that and wanted to go to school to pursue it further and grow my network and, and just get the opportunity to work with some more funds and, and meet some more people in the, the industry. And simultaneously also just had an interest given the social impact background and public policy. So I ended up going to Stanford to pursue an MBA and an MPP to pursue both those interests and worked with a, a few different funds while there, including Slow Ventures, Omidyar Network, Draper Richards Kaplan, but met Bessemer along the way and couldn't pass up the opportunity to work with them. And that's where I am today. Awesome. And I had the opportunity to look at a few of your interviews and learn more about you there. And I really appreciated your outlook on how you grew up, not coming from a place of means, and how you've shaped investment philosophy through that. And I like one in particular where you were being interviewed by Jason Dunford, where you mentioned your fourth grade teacher being a big impact on your life. How have those people shaped you and the way you grew up on how you think about investing and now being in a position of a lot of, of power and privilege of being able to invest in companies? How do you think about that as someone that didn't necessarily have that growing up. 
Yeah, it's a good question. It's a funny interview that, that you saw there with Jason Dunford, good friend. I think it influenced me in a couple of ways. Initially, like my whole interest in investing came from an impact standpoint. I had been in the nonprofit sector and was advising different foundations and nonprofits on just how to serve their constituents better and realized that Another avenue that I wanted to explore was just the private sector in terms of how market-based solutions can address different social impact issues, including poverty and education and healthcare and a range of other social issues. And I think just growing up in that sort of environment just gave me a perspective on just different sort of issues that both myself and my mother and people in our community face that also motivated an interest in fintech and thinking about how to increase access to different banking solutions and different forms of capital for different populations. Maybe another way that sort of influenced me is when I think about giving my career in investing started in impact investing, <clears throat> a lot of what we did was to evaluate how those businesses were ultimately addressing a real need for people. And that I think just honed my focus in terms of just understanding that, right? Is a solution actually addressing a deep need for a large number of people? And now that I've moved into more traditional venture capital, that continues to be I think a skill set that I use when evaluating different startups and understanding the, the depth of the need and the depth of the value that is bringing. Absolutely. And as you were going down your, the path of your career, what attracted you to, to Bessemer specifically? Was it the partners or your opportunity there? I just wanted to dig into the details a little bit more about how you specifically landed there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They actually reached out to me my MBA two year, my second year at business school, and just through a resume book, and has reached out just saying, hey, your resume looks a little bit different than the standard banking consulting resume. We'll love to connect and just hear about your interest in venture capital. And started the conversation then, but then had an extra year at school to, to pursue the public policy degree and sort of just put those conversations on hold and then re-engage the following year before I was about to graduate. Bessemer is a real top-down, like thesis-driven or roadmap-driven type of fund where we'll pick different spaces, learn what we can about the marketing competitive dynamics, and develop a point of view that we ultimately invest behind. And I've been working on a roadmap in enterprise AI and, and machine learning, shared that with them, and that sort of sparked an ongoing discussion and found some overlapping areas of interest that led to a really good fit. And as I was evaluating Bessemer alongside other opportunities, loved just how we're stage and industry agnostic. So as someone who's endlessly curious, just being able to look across different industries and different sizes of companies to find individuals that might be building the next category defining companies. And then also just love the people I interacted with. One interesting thing that stood out to me when I compared my interactions with them 
against other VCs that I was speaking with at the time was just the, their email etiquette. <laughs> the way they, they took time to respond thoughtfully to emails and it wasn't a power move, super concise, like I don't have time for you type of thing. It was a quick turnaround, really thoughtful responses. And it just showed how even for someone just like in school, and even very early on in our relationship, when there wasn't a, a recruiting thing going on there, they, it just showed the attention they paid to relationship building with people in the community uh, and how that matters to them. And that really stood out. That's great. I think that's interesting to hear how you went through the process of deciding through opportunities you had and ultimately landed in a place where you've been able to find some success. And I wanted to jump into what your work is like. How do you start off your week? I know no one day is typical, but how do you start off your week? How do you start about engaging with different investors or companies you're interested in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So every week starts off with partnership and team meetings. So it's a mix of reviewing investments in the pipeline, discovering new ones found either by our team of analysts or found by ourselves and other associates and partners. And then it's a mix of the venture capitalist time is split across three areas primarily, I'd say, sourcing, selecting, and supporting. And then encapsulated in all that is, is just learning, learning about different spaces, learning about particular investments, learning about how to support your companies. And start of every week is time split among those activities. And Always looks different from week to week, but I think as I'm getting prepared for the week, I, I think across those three different categories, what's what's a big priority in terms of sourcing? What's in uh, a space that I've been looking at where I want to surface more companies? And selecting, you know, what are some companies I'm currently engaged with that I want to diligence a bit more and, and figure out how to take to the next stage of whether or not to make a go-no-go decision and supporting who are the portfolio companies I'm engaged with that I think I can help in some meaningful way. And what do I need to do this week to do that? What makes the job exciting is that it can be very different from week to week, tends to be split across those three areas. Yeah, something that I think is unique about Bessemer is the partner structure where each partner has their own business within the fund and and there's areas of focus. How has that been working in that space? I know you've focus a little bit on cloud and have the opportunity to work with Byron Dieter, who's a legend in the industry. How's that type of focus been for you? And have you decided to primarily spend your time in cloud? Or are you looking at other areas as well? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, Byron, working with Byron Dieter has been fantastic. Such a amazing, unique opportunity to work with someone who's built a career on this roadmap in cloud and, and made a bet on it. And that's paid off really well and is just so willing to loot me into everything and just give me a ton of slack to explore what I want to explore and lead what I want to lead and is just an incredible mentor and manager and just love working with him. I, I, I was excited about the opportunity to work with him because I also really love investing in cloud SaaS like technologies, enterprise SaaS, vertical SaaS, SMB SaaS. And so spent a lot of my time in those areas. And over the past year, we've made investments in two vertical SaaS companies, a developer-focused like API uh, play, and then a traditional like enterprise SaaS around a particular functional group. 
and so spend a ton of time there just because there's still so much opportunity. It's such a broad category, right? Cloud is a, a weird term to use these days. It wasn't as obvious 15 years ago, but now everything's the cloud and splitting my time across all things like front end application layer, SaaS. But then also been increasingly spending more time on back end data infrastructure and machine learning opportunities. I think two trends that we see and really believe in are one, just the massive proliferation of data in the enterprise and the way more and more companies and enterprises are using data to improve their analytics or business operations or product offerings. And the way machine learning is being used as a technology to do that in a really efficient and effective and profitable way. And meeting with a ton of organizations in that space to understand what pain points are solving and how they're going to help accelerate those trends. Yeah, broad cloud and, and then so that backend data infrastructure is where I spend a lot of my time today. Yeah, you mentioned that you're meeting a ton of people and different organizations. It's such a broad category and there's a lot to learn constantly about how it's evolving, new trends, things that are interesting. And venture in general is such a people and relationship driven business. How has this changed for you over the course of the year with the onset of the pandemic, with everything going remote and virtual? How has that changed how you think about investments, about meeting new people and learning in general? Yeah, yeah, it's, def it's definitely been a, a big change. And one of the things that I love about investing and about venture capital is getting to meet with people, right? At the end of the day, it's a people's business and you're investing in individuals that you believe in and that you want to back to go after a market or an opportunity. And it's a huge loss not to be able to connect in person and feel someone's energy and feel each other's vibe and connect in that deeper, more intimate way. When making investments, we today still aim to try to meet before presenting a term sheet in a you know COVID safe and compliant way and, and all that good stuff. But it's been different. I, I will say at the end of the day, like I said, our biggest roadmap is the cloud and we're big believers in its power and how it powers remote work. You're definitely able to still do the job and connect with people as we are right now to still learn about and engage with the individuals that you're going to back. But it's a huge difference not being able to build that relationship over time in person. Definitely looking forward to hopefully uh, a vaccine in, in the next six months or so and uh, maybe getting back to some in-person time. Absolutely. Zoom fatigue is real. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're trying to meet new people and, and gain conviction around an investment or a founder in particular. Yep. And, and speaking of founders, what do you, you look for in a founder? What qualities make them attractive to you? Especially doing earlier stage investments the founder, the talent they're able to attract is so important. What are some of those qualities you look for when you're assessing that person? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think this is probably um, where we spend the most time. Because like I said, at the end of the day, this is a people's business and you're signing up for many years of working together and, and it's individuals that are going to decide how you pivot the company and go after the opportunity. And and so much of the time doing the product diligence only can be misleading because of just how often great entrepreneurs will end up pivoting as they figure out what's working. And I think some things that I like to look for is just a 
huge appetite for learning, right? Just a willingness to, to learn and just super curious and trying to experiment and test and understand what's going to work best and having a demonstrated ability to, to do that. A certain level of, of vision and charisma, just having the ability to be able to recruit a great team uh, around you to sell your vision to others, not only key employees, but also future investors. Related to the experimentation point, being able to just be super fast and, and agile, understanding or having the capability to innovate, iterate, and, and move on fast to subsequent iterations of the product. And then also a, a certain level of boldness or, or confidence, but with self-awareness, confidence with humility, right? Just being able to take in feedback from your advisors and mentors and, and employees and understand yourself in that way better, but also not being someone who just listens to my advice or the advice of fellow investors, but is able to incorporate that and, and take what they want and, and reject the rest and use that to figure out their path forward. A mix of those different qualities, I think, really sets apart certain entrepreneurs for me. For sure. And once you've found a founder that you find really compelling, you think they have a great business and there's something there, you ultimately want to win the deal. And capital is cheaper and more abundant than ever in the asset class of venture in general. What do you see venture's role in the near to medium term? How do you think about winning deals and what's your specific offer to these founders that often have really competitive rounds with valuations pushing higher and higher? How do you think about closing the deal? Gosh, that is such a good question. <laughs> and I think today that's truer uh, than ever. But like you said, with so much capital in the market, prices are just through the roof and it's really competitive. And, and it's, there's, there's only so much you can do to win these deals while, while not going up too much on price, right? Like you don't want to end up just getting into a pricing war with, with your peer funds, although that happens more often than we'd like. But I think what works for us at Bessemer is that we are, like I said earlier, really a roadmap driven fund. Uh, and so what that means is that we'll have a deep perspective on the space when we're uh, investing uh, in a particular company and understand the competitive dynamics, who the key players are, what are the market trends that's driving that space forward. And because of that, often also like the biggest nerds in the boardroom can help to share benchmarks and help to set milestones and, and help to think about competitive positioning. And a lot of what we sell is that, right? Like that thought leadership in a particular space. But then also there's a host of resources that we offer from our platform team, whether that's talent and recruiting or CEO events or different community events or specific functional group like CXO offerings. And, but it's still a question because in this day and age, every fund is, every top tier fund is offering some level of this. And so what I think helps to us to really win deals at the end of the day, in addition to the roadmap, is this long-term relationship building. It's just getting ahead 
and building relationships over a, a year or a couple of years and deeply getting to know founders at their earliest stages and nurturing those relationships until it's time to invest such that when you get to that point, it, it becomes hopefully a no-brainer for those founders. But that's not always easy to do, but I think that's what we, what we aim to do. It sounds like Bessemer, as you were mentioning, is a roadmap-focused, thesis-driven fund, and you're looking to find things in a space that you've already mapped out and really thought through and decided on. And I want to relate that a little back to what Harlem Capital is doing around changing the face of venture capital and the yep. founders receive funding. So it's still difficult for women, founders of color, to receive capital. They're still in the low single digit percentages of the amount of capital that's deployed. How do you see that access to capital changing for these types of founders? And what do you see the responsibility of the industry, of investors of color, other founders, to help in accelerating that transition? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I love what Harlem Capital is doing here and, and what other funds are doing here. I think we still have a long way to go. There is still just a huge drop-off from the C to Series A stage. And it's at that Series A stage where we need to do the most work. And, and that's where it's the onus is on Bessemer and other pure funds and multi-stage funds and Series A focused funds to step their game up there. And I think it's that the framing around it needs to change also. It's not like a philanthropic token type of charity investment. It's a huge untapped opportunity. And it's not about hitting a quota or you know, hitting your diversity metrics, but it's an opportunity to back great founders. I think I even, I've read somewhere that diverse founders return 30% more cash on median. And, and we see similar stats when we talk about having diverse boards or diverse teams. It's a known fact at this point. And I think that should be enough of a driver, hopefully, to get more funds to think about this more seriously. And because it's almost like a question of fiduciary duty and missing these opportunities on backing great founders. And in the same way that I think diverse investors are capable of using unique backgrounds and cultural backgrounds and upbringings, as I think has influenced my investing approach in, in, in many ways, same with diverse founders and encounter entirely different subset of problems and professional and personal experiences and inefficiencies that might otherwise not be apparent to founders from non-minority backgrounds. The, the other point I'll make here is that it's not a pipeline problem, right? It's uh, about making the effort to identify founders in the same way that we source for white founders today. And I'm encouraged by a lot of the re recent efforts around this and just the whole momentum around this. But I will say I'm not in favor of approaches that create a separate fund for it. It's, I think it's about investing out of your current fund and not relegating diverse founders to the little leagues or something when they're just as qualified to receive investment from the traditional process. And while a lot of that I think is good, we have large billion dollar funds across our peers that are able to just invest in diverse founders out of the traditional process. I love the work Harlem Capital is doing here and I have a 
monthly call with them and in a monthly call with other funds focused <clears throat> on diverse founders at the seed stage. And at Bessemer, we're doing a lot of work to back more and more diverse founders. And I hope that the industry continues to move in this direction. So much more work to be done and yep. focus on growing these founders equitably, thinking more holistically about how we evaluate these founders and that I totally agree with you on there not being a pipeline problem, but a way that we think about our networks and how we approach people and how these founders are, are elevated. Yep. So I, I couldn't agree with you more there. And I'm curious, you founded the MBA fund, which partners with alumni and student entrepreneurs from these top universities. What got you interested in starting that? And could you speak a little bit more about your work that you've been doing with that organization? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I started that while in my second year at Stanford. And what actually inspired me to start it was a, a love for investing and a current inability to do it myself. <laughs> and just not having the capital to, to invest, but wanting to do it. And what I knew best at the time was MBAs, because that's the program I was in. And historically, MBAs have been an overlooked segment because the general thinking is that MBAs, like Peter Thiel says this, Elon Musk says this and others, that MBAs don't know innovation try not to hire MBAs or MBAs can't run startups. And while that can often be true, I think the MBA programs over time have evolved to be almost incubators of sorts in terms of their program offerings and in terms of the ability to find like high quality talent with experience across industries. And so I think it was just a, an opportunity that me and my partners saw to really invest in MBAs and, and open that up to other VCs and, and also open it up to alumni and other executives and, and mentors that want to be a part of these communities. And I think there are three constituents to our model. One is the, the founders, two are the campus investment partners that we recruit, and, and three are our LPs and mentors. For founders, felt that, again, felt that often... MBAs had been overlooked for all the reasons uh, I just mentioned, but especially under-resourced and, and minority founders. And we have a huge focus on that. We're over half of our portfolio are Black, Latinx, uh, or female founders. And two, for campus investment partners, someone who was able to successfully break into venture, although it wasn't easy by any means, wanted to open that up for other individuals in my class and other MBA programs. And through our campus investment partner program, our campus investors get to learn what it's like to actually invest and be a part of uh, a real fund and have a lot of autonomy and responsibility over decision-making and diligence and all that good stuff uh, and get mentoring from different people in our network. And then for our LPs and mentors, we got a group of about 40 to 50 LPs and over 100 mentors who wanted to connect with, fund, and help startups. And this just provides a, a way for them to do that, to stay close to the alma mater, but still do what they love and to pass it on. And I think across all three of those groups, the real vision here was to build a community of individuals across these university programs that could support each other on their journeys and their careers 
for years to come. We, we hope that this is a lifelong community where individuals will be able to get jobs through this, we'll be able to find co-founders, we'll be able to invest in each other. And so we really try to cultivate that community aspect. That's awesome. I think it's such a cool thing you founded and what you've been able to build out of it. It relates back to your interest in investing, but also spreading that knowledge and that opportunity to, like you're saying, a group that's often not think of as being innovative or a little bit more traditional. But there's so much talent in a lot of these programs and definitely should be a place that is taken seriously and look for a place that are people that are forward thinking and have things to say. So looking back over the course of your career, you've had an amazing education. You've worked at a place like Bridgespan, your opportunities at Stanford. Where do you think you'll see yourself next in the future? You've clearly had some passion about public policy and impact investing. Do you see yourself continuing on in venture and looking to become a partner? Do you see yourself maybe thinking about something that's more public facing or in the public sector? Um, I'm curious on how you see yourself progressing over these next few years. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely want to build a career in venture right now. I, I just love the job and, and I love Bessemer and I, I'm really enjoying my, my time here. And I just feel I'm still early in my career and there's a lot more I want to do and a lot more I, I want to learn and a lot more capital that I want to help influence towards the, the people and you know, of the backgrounds and pursuing the causes that I care about. And so I think there's still, like we were just talking about, a lot of work to do to funnel more capital to black, brown, and female entrepreneurs. And I want to be a part of that. There's uh, just so much I feel I individually want to learn just about different spaces, just given how uh, curious I am and just how much I love investing in different markets. I do think down the line, 10, 15 years or so, for a lot of the issues that I care about, private markets are limited in their ability to address them, right? Like income inequality or wealth inequality or workplace discrimination or ton tons of different things. And I think as slow and bureaucratic as our government system is, it's one of the only systems that's truly at scale and, and that can affect policy that can help to change people's lives and, and help to uh, set them up for success. And I do think at some point in the future, I'd love to work in the public sector in some way. I don't know what that will look like, but for now, I'm excited to just explore the private sector. It was actually when I was at the Bridgespan group that I met with and got to work with a man by the name of Jim Shelton. He was the deputy secretary of the Department of Ed and also former partner McKinsey, former program officer at the Gates Foundation, a program director former founder and entrepreneur himself of an ed tech company. And he was helping us with making investments in different technology that helps to increase social mobility. And one of the things he shared with us, the team and with the broader company was he termed himself a tri-sector athlete, <laughs> uh, which I thought was awesome. And he, he talked about just how having experience across all three sectors has helped him to build relationships and a network that he can call on and a skill set that he can use to address the issues he cares about in, in the best way uh, possible, like leveraging whatever approach makes sense across nonprofit, private, and public sectors. And so there's something about that that just really appealed to me. 
and I've tried to take that approach in building my career to get some experience in, in each sector and learn about how to use those ultimately to help make progress against the, the issues I care about. I think you have such a unique background, a unique approach to the way you've, you've structured your career, the way you've thought about your education and, and what you're ultimately doing now at Bessemer. And so I think it gives a, an interesting background to how you can affect change on the private side, on the public side, and how those things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive all the time. Is, is so I think that's a, a good anecdote to lead into my, my final question to you, which is, you've had some time to build your career and think about what's important to you and what you value. If you could give advice to your younger self today, what would you tell him? Man, <laughs> that's a good question. I don't really, I don't think I have any words of wisdom to share with my younger self besides maybe make sure you get enough sleep <laughs> because I think I've sacrificed a lot of that over the years just from pushing myself real hard. But also stay humble, stay hungry. And also read more. I think I've had a lot of mentors in my life who are just voracious readers and consume knowledge and there's so much to learn in the world. And I'll spend, you know, too much time probably binging my favorite TV show and watching a ton of movies, but probably tell my younger self to read more. And also pick up piano, which I think is, is random, but I've recently started playing and I'm terrible at it, but it's, it's a way that sometimes I feel like, I don't know, I can, it's very therapeutic and it's music. I think it's just a whole other way to express yourself and process emotions and thoughts and whatnot. And uh, I'm jealous of my friends who had their parents force them to take piano when they were like five or something and, and now are able to do that. And yeah, I tell my younger self to read and play piano. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. That's been one of my favorite quarantine activities to pick back up. I played piano pretty seriously from the time I was about nine until I was 17. Oh, wow. Once I got to college, I fell off. And then I would tinker here and there, but I really picked it back up and super rusty, but it's great to get back into it. And music is therapeutic that way. And, yep. and help yep. just focus on something else outside of your day to day. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you need that mental break. You need a way to process, to refocus your energies. That's really cool to hear. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us and hearing about your background, what you're working on and, and your philosophy in general on venture and really making an impact through the work you do. So thank you so much. And I appreciate you joining us this week. Thank you, Brian. Thanks to you and the Harlem Capital team. Really appreciate you guys having me. And that's a wrap. To stay connected with all things Harlem Capital, you can find us on Twitter at Harlem Capital. Until next time, Keep building.